Welcome to the Out of Limits of Inner Tooth Radio Show. OutofLimitsRadio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. Before we begin tonight's program, I want to ask you, how are you doing tonight? How is life? How are things? I definitely give a damn. I definitely care about you, and I hope that you're doing well. And before we begin tonight's program, I wanted to bring to your attention that I'm planning on doing a show in the very near future where I interview five of our listeners because I want to hear about you know the lessons that you have, some of your best insights, and your evolution. It's incredible. But when I sit down and I get to, to correspond with our listeners, you guys are some of the most fascinating people I've ever met, and you're teaching me so many things. And a lot of our listeners are giving great guest suggestions. So the recent surge of guests that we're having are actually a direct result from our listeners. So thank you so much. Tonight we're going to focus on the art of remote viewing. If you don't know what remote viewing is, it is pretty damn cool. It is the ability to project or actually to to perceive worlds and perceive reality within our own three-dimensional system, even though they could be hundreds of thousands, if not millions of light years away. And remote viewing is something that the CIA was actually utilizing as a means of spying on the Russians. So this has actually got a lot of science to it. And we're going to talk to a foremost expert who's going to talk about their experience, and they're also going to teach you their technique. So this is pretty wild. And by the way, this particular interview was done a few years ago. I just discovered it. I don't. I think we aired it once, and it got lost. So the interview style is definitely different. And let us begin our featured interview with John Herlaski, author of the book A Sorcerer's Apprentice, A Skeptic's Journey into the CIA's Project Stargate and Remote Viewing Program. John, your book seems very fascinating. I was wondering if you could tell us what you feel are the most, I don't know, mind-revealing and groundbreaking aspects of what you've covered. Well, there were a number of instances um, in the book that were were so incredible for me to uh, experience. It's kind of difficult to choose, but... Well, let's say the ones that if you were... I see a lot of people out there that they, I mean they're called the conspiracy theories, and people uh, you know say oh, that's a, that's a theory. And what conspiracy theories do you think are not so much conspiracy theories as a direct result of some of your findings in your book? Well, one of the things that I did find out during my experiences over the years with Dave Morehouse was the fact that you can't take everything at face value that the government tells you. You need to do your own investigation. It's like the the saying that Fox Mulder used to say on the old X-Files show. The truth is out there. You need to do your investigations. You need to check. You need to recheck. And you need to investigate any claims made by, frankly, anyone, including myself. Okay. Now, you're considered an expert in the field of human performance technologies. That being said, do you feel that there are efforts from the government and other agencies to try to dehumanize people by making them integrated with machines and trying to utilize them to you know to do things that are not necessarily in the best interest of their will? I I know that there is research going on in those areas. Um, but you have to understand that the intelligence communities are very insular. And 
we know from experience that they sometimes do venture beyond their boundaries. And for that instance, I would give the example of the MK Ultra program. So, what's what was that? That was the program where the CIA was um, administering LSD to various um, civilian sub, uh, subjects without their permission. And because of that, there was one individual who suffered a psychotic break and committed suicide. Wow. That's, yeah. that's pretty awful. I just want to shift a little bit and talk to you about the remote viewing. And for people out there who aren't aware of remote viewing or what it is, I'm going to try to explain to you in one particular way. And John, I'd like you to please correct me if I'm wrong on this. It is basically when you can, I don't know, focus your mindset and be able to perceive a location, an event that's thousands, maybe you know, several thousand miles away from you in real time, and that you're able to just remotely cast your consciousness out there. So it is something that people discuss when talking with psychics, when talking with uh, spiritual individuals. When you look at your book, it seems that there is a scientific basis and methodology for remote viewing. So can you please elaborate on that? Certainly. That's one of the primary differences between regular psychic functioning and remote viewing. Remote viewing was born in a bed of science. It was created through the use of the scientific method, and it was developed using scientific protocols and methodologies. So that's the difference between remote viewing and what's just, say, an ordinary psychic. The fact of the matter is all remote viewers are psychic, but not all psychics are remote viewers. To be a remote viewer, you have to follow the protocols and the methodologies that have been developed over the years by such institutions as the um, Stanford Research Institute and the Pair Research Group over in um, Princeton. Okay. So, what do they do? How do they do it? How do you remote view? Well, essentially what you are doing is you are opening up a dialogue between your conscious mind and your unconscious mind. The research shows that on a very basic level, the unconscious mind is connected to virtually everything in this universe as far as, we can, as we've been able to ascertain through experimentation. And by utilizing these protocols, it is designed to bring you into a mind state or a brainwave state that allows you to communicate with your unconscious. And what happens is you start feeling things, seeing things, and hearing things because that's the way the subconscious communicates with your conscious mind is through feelings and pictures and things like that. Okay. So if you are going to, I mean, so what's the next step? So if somebody says, okay, I want you to, to perceive what is happening in a location hundreds of miles away, do you, what, what, what is done? Do, do they have to sit down and relax? Do they have to be uh, hear a certain uh, song? Do they have to hear a certain frequency and to get into a state? And then how are they induced to focusing their consciousness on a location or an event that's, you know, again, very far away? Okay. Well, the protocols have you 
get into a, a relaxed state. And depending upon the methodology used, you want to get into a particular brain state that facilitates the communication between your conscious and subconscious. Um, some remote viewers use music or um, soundtracks that have binaural beats to relax and meditate down to either an alpha state or a very deep theta state, depending upon the situation. And then at this time, it's your intention is such that these images and feelings and sensations start to bubble up through the unconscious uh, threshold into your conscious mind. And you're able to do that because you're in this altered state. Okay. So you get into this altered state. Now, how are you able to, again, you know, where, is it, where does the suggestion come into? If the government is utilizing people to do the remote viewing and they're able to get a number of people in these alter, alter, alternate states, how do they induce a coordinate? How do they induce the location or suggestion? Excellent question. Excellent question. Um, the way that the protocols go is that they assign a coordinate to the target that they want. And the coordinate in and of itself, uh, either a series of numbers, letters, or a combination of the two, are simply an address for the remote viewers to focus on. It has no other meaning otherwise. I mean, you could use anything you wanted. I mean, they even did tests where they told the remote viewer, okay, I want you to go to the target. I gave them nothing else, and he, they were able to access the target and report back accurately on what the target was. But in most cases, what they do is they do assign a certain set of numbers or in what they call encrypted coordinates. But what's important to remember is that the coordinates have a certain importance to the project manager. And he is the one who assigns the coordinates with the intention of the remote viewing, remote viewers going to the target and viewing the specific target that he has in mind. Remote viewing is intent-driven. That's why remote viewers in and of themselves can't use remote viewing to view targets because then their, their unconscious mind starts to intrude and throw things in there like, let's say, oh, maybe it's a, uh, a castle or maybe it's a fort or maybe it's this or that or the other thing. Whereas normal remote viewing, the remote viewers are blind to the target. They have no idea what the target is. So it's the intention of the project manager that drives the session. Okay. Now, are there personalities, certain types of people that you've discovered, or at least through these studies have discovered, are better equipped to be great remote viewers? Well, they found that during experimentation over the 25-year period of the program that it is an innate ability. Everyone has the ability to do remote viewing, but... It's just like a normal bell-shaped curve. On one side, you're going to find the Michael Jordans of the remote viewing world, and on the other side, you're going to find the dilettantes. <laughs> what they did find was was that people who have higher than normal education, 
who have uh, a sense of willingness to investigate things that perhaps are beyond their usual um, belief system, who are artistic, for instance, um, usually have uh, a much higher, what you would call maybe an expert quotient okay. than other individuals. Uh, so it's just certain personality based on this. Now, have you yourself been able to remotely view anything or seen, been able to go to this reality? I'm sorry? Have you, uh, have you yourself been able to remotely view certain uh, objects? I mean, sort of oh, location? Yeah. yeah, so in my book, A Sorcerer's Apprentice, um, I think the most evocative session was the session where I was targeted on the um, Mars Sojourner rover at the Twin Peaks sector of Mars. You actually were able to... You, how was your, your, your subconscious mind connected you to the surface of Mars? Yes. And even more incredible is the fact that um, Ingo Swan, the originator of remote viewing, was able to view Jupiter and report on the rings around Jupiter. And this was at least six to eight months before the Pioneer probe entered the Jupiter space and confirmed the fact that Jupiter does has ha, does have rings. Have you ever been able to see other things in addition to Mars? What were some of your other uh, interesting remote loop views? Oh God! Um, I was just wondering if you've actually been able to go farther out, like beyond our solar system, and actually see if there's other if there's life on other planetary systems. Sure. Um, actually, in one of the later chapters, you'll see a chapter called The Eater. And we were targeted on a particular set of coordinates that the late Ingo Swan, the creator of remote viewing, had come up with. And he said that these were a very special set of coordinates. And when I was sent to those coordinates, it was obvious that this was in some space far beyond wherever Earth was because I didn't recognize any constellations where I was. And I know most of the constellations, what they, how they appear in the sky. So I would have had to have been probably tens of thousands of light years away. And I was able to observe this thing. And this thing was uh, like a, a flattened um, volleyball and it was glowing gases that were spinning really rapidly. So there had to have been a central, really powerful mass or gravity at the center because otherwise the spinning would have caused the gases to go flinging outward, but they didn't. This thing was about me, I get as a guesstimate, it was perhaps a kilometer or two in size. It's really hard to tell. It was just a gut feeling because there was nothing around there that I could um, measure it against. And the really strange thing was was that I had the impression that this thing was not a thing. It was a something. There was intelligence there. I mean, it wanted to learn things. It was a creature of space. It was immensely old. But there was an intelligence there. And the interesting thing is I think it had something to do with the magnetic fields that were flowing across the surface of this thing. 
It sounds like a from what you're describing. It's I mean it's it sounds like a black hole. Have you ever been able to have your consciousness go near a black hole and observe anything close to that? That's the only thing that we've ever that I've ever been sent to that was um, close to the idea of a black hole. I don't know for sure that there was one in there because I I never got a chance to go close enough to investigate whether or not there was a a tear type black hole in the center. But the interesting thing is is that about a year later I was in a bookstore and I came upon a book by scientist uh, Gregory Benford who writes hard science fiction. And he had written a, a novel called The Eater. And I, I, I was floored when I read it because the description that was given by Benford about this creature that he called The Eater was almost exactly the same thing as what I saw out there. Wow. Uh, that's a big... Yeah, that was, blew me away. Now, have you had other people that you work with kind of second or, you know, kind of validate some of your, you know, observations? Oh. Oh, yeah. You have to understand that um, all of the sessions that you see in the book were done in classes so that not only myself, but there were at least 20 to 40 people besides myself that were targeted on these same coordinates and who matched those same you know impressions, although they saw it from a different point of view. But you could tell that we were all looking at I just want to pause uh, real quick and just remind our great audience that we are speaking. Uh, sorry, that we're speaking with John Hawaski, and he's got this great book, "A Sorcerer's Apprentice: A Skeptic's Journey into the CIA's Project Stargate Remote Viewing." I want you to know that you can learn more about the book by going to a sorcererapprentice.com. But John, coming back to your remote viewing, how has this changed your perception, or? Um, let me say this again. How has remote viewing changed your perception about spirituality? Are you a spiritual person, or do you believe that this is just one life that we have? You know, that's a very good question, because it brings up an, a, a point that I learned in one of Dave Morehouse's classes. Your question is almost exactly the same thing that I asked Dave, and I asked him, have remote viewers ever been targeted on the idea of reincarnation? into their past lives. And Dave said that, yes, they had. But the interesting thing was what the remote viewers reported was that it was like looking into a mirror reflected in a mirror. The timelines went as far back as they could see. And not only that, they extended into the future as far as they could see and on either side of them. In other words, parallel lines, as far as they could see. They could not see resolutions in any direction, in any time direction at all. And the idea, that idea was interpreted as the fact that we all live, have lived, and will live countless lives. It's amazing. And if you think about it, there are a lot of people who believe that your spirit is eternal and that everything is infinite, that the physical body It'd be a temporary fit. That's that's amazing that they try. So that's amazing that you would actually be on a mission to try to view what was in a person's past life. I had no idea that the powers that be had this great of an interest on a, on a spiritual, metaphysical side. What was the purpose of what? Why why was it so important that they were trying to utilize this? 
And do you think that right now, with all the technology being utilized by drones, that remote viewing is still as relevant or becoming less relevant? Well, those are two excellent questions. Um, the first one, um, let me think here. I'm trying to remember what it was. <laughs> first one is about, um, did you, well, the first one is this. Uh, did you find it interesting that the, uh, the powers that be would oh. actually try you to, to, yeah, to find what's in a person's past life? Like, what would be the purpose for them to try to figure out or start, uh, you know, remote view a person's right. past life? Right. Actually, what it was was that the individual program managers at Fort Meade, where the remote viewing uh, unit was housed, had a lot of um, latitude in the targets that they used for training targets. And so this was one of the training targets. It was made up by one of the, the um, project managers, and they sent viewers out because what they were trying to do was discover what were the limits. Remember, to them, at that time, this was a new technology. They had no idea what the limits were for remote viewing. So they used these esoteric-type targets to see what would be brought back. And that was what happened. And, you know, the interesting thing is that that tends to reinforce some of the newest um, discoveries that were being made today in modern physics. And as for the second question, um, which was... Is drone technology, in one way, is it kind of surpassing the remote viewing, and is remote viewing as relevant or less relevant today? I would say that remote viewing is more relevant today. Really? But you have to understand that remote viewing was never meant to be a be-all, a replacement for intelligence-gathering methodology. Remote viewing was designed to be used in conjunction with other technologies out there. Each technology puts a piece of the total intelligence puzzle together. Okay, And the strengths of remote viewing are that it can access information that you cannot get by these other modes of modern technology intelligence gathering. You can't see through a mountain with a drone. You can't see through it with a satellite. And if you have human intelligence assets on the ground and they are forbidden from going into that particular location, then you don't have that aspect either. And if their uh, um, communications are shielded from normal uh, intrusion methods, then you're not going to get any information that way either. Remote viewing allows you to penetrate all the way through and gather information about what's inside that mountain. There's no way to shield against remote viewing. Well, what if and a there are no distance limitations either? Yeah. So another one too. I mean, I just want to just ponder that thought. I want our audience to ponder that thought and. In- Listen to what John had just told you, even going back a little earlier, how he's able to travel thousands of hundreds of thousands of light years away. I mean, that means traveling at the speed of light, you know, by a physical object, whereas your consciousness seemed to get there instantaneously. And I mean, there's, there's probably a groundbreaking discovery right there. But um, It was. It was. When Ingo Swan did the viewing of the rings surrounding uh, Jupiter, you have to understand at the time, Jupiter was approximately 450 million miles away, um, I believe, 
it was at around that at either 450 or 750. I, I forget which. But you're talking several hundred um, million kilometers between where he was and where Jupiter is in space at the time. And yet he was able to lock onto that information uh, within minutes. Now, light takes over three-quarters of an hour to get there and another same amount of time to come back. So obviously, remote viewing is not constrained by the speed of light. Here's a hypothetical question. You think about the way the world is right now. There are some people who are going to say the world is going into this place where there's a lot of control and it's kind of becoming a shutdown society where we used to enjoy freedom in the past. It's become more tyrannical. And the question I have is this, is do you, uh, do you think that the remote viewing program is being used or has been used very successfully to find and to maybe take out individuals throughout the last hundred years that could be a Jesus type figure that can, you know, set the world on a on a course of more freedom and can inspire people to enjoy more freedom. Do you think that the reason why that we are living in these uh, tough tyrannical times right now is because the remote viewing efforts have been successful and they're taking out these uh would be Jesus type figures? Uh as far as I know, um it may have been used um you know far in the past. I know that uh, the Oracle of Delphi, for instance, um, the Elizabethan spy, John Dee, all used um, psychic functioning in their uh, uh, particular environments. So I can't comment on whether or not they used that or individuals who were involved in that type of thing might have done that. I do know that from what I have seen so far of the Stargate program over its 25-year um, existence. Uh, I do know that they did use it to search out individuals. Um, I don't think that they ever use that information for assassination purposes. But then again, if it was done, it was done under the under a black program. In which case, neither I nor either the the remote viewers themselves would be aware of that. You have to understand that a lot of the targets that the remote viewers were assigned, they never got feedback on. They were given the coordinates, they did their sessions, wrote down their impressions and sketches, and then it went off to a client. And in many cases, those clients were black, and in many cases, they never received any information as to whether or not they were on target or not. So what was ever done with that information, we don't know. All right, John, can people actually hire you to do some remote viewing? Say, for example, they they really want to um, they want to have you focus on an event that could be occurring in their life, or they want you to explore and find a missing child or a missing dog. Are you for hire? Will you work with them? <laughs> Um, actually, most of the remote uh, ex-military remote viewers out there are available. If you are if you are looking for a particular search problem, that's probably uh, Joe McMonagle, the person that you would want to contact. He's generally regarded as the best um, 
search remote viewer out there. He has a lot of experience in it. Okay. But um, Lynn Buchanan, Paul Smith, Joe, myself, um, Dave Morehouse, and the others, if you were to approach them and ask, I'm sure that they could probably help you out in one way or another, including myself. Okay. And I, I found this one part that we have notes on is pretty interesting is that you apparently you had a warning before September 11th happened, at least two days in yeah. advance. And I, there's a two-part question to this. One is, what was the warning like? What did you feel? What did, what did you see was going to occur? And the second thing is, have you ever gotten an indication or a sign that another event like that will occur in the near future here? Well, that's one of the things about remote viewing is when you are in a remote viewing state and you are doing remote viewing, you are connected on a very intimate level to the, what you would call the wave function of the universe. So that you're dipping your foot into the pool of creation. So if you have an event like let's say 9-11 happen or will happen in the future, in that pool of all knowledge, Time doesn't exist, which means that if something happens years into the future, it's going to create waves that are going to propagate to where you are. And the closer the event comes to the timeline where you are, the more intrusive it becomes. When I received my 9-11 premonition or experience, I was actually doing some experiments in what is called associative remote viewing, where you are tasked with looking ahead, say a few days, to view um, which target or what picture is going to be shown you from a pool of two targets. So it's a binary choice. And what, what they do is they assign to one picture of the other picture, a particular event. And in this case, it was, if you see one picture, it's going to be the stock option would be up. If you see the other picture, it's going to mean that the stock stayed the same or fell. So we were looking at stock options, a particular stock option, three days in advance. When I did my my remote viewing, Uh, to see what feedback picture I was going to be shown after that stock option did what it was supposed to be doing. Um, It just was a pure fluke, just just luck, that one of the pictures that had been chosen at random from a pool was the Twin Towers. And so when I was doing my viewing, I viewed the Twin Towers But I also saw two large craters that were jagged and spired, not like a regular crater you would expect to see with smooth edges. And I saw lots of dust or snow. It it was light-colored. And I didn't make any sense of that because it didn't make any sense to me what this could mean because it was obviously... um, a cityscape that I was looking at. That was obvious to me at the time, but I didn't attach any particular significance to the craters, to the snow or dust, whatever it was. Um, And I saw lots of dogs for whatever reason. That didn't make much sense to me either. And I saw what appeared to be 
a long cylindrical object that looked similar to either a, a train or the fuselage of an of an airplane. But it had no wings and the front end was all crushed in. So I, I you know, it didn't make any sense to me at the time. But I wrote the information down and then I keyed it into the computer and then the computer at the time said he pop, it popped uh, let's see, it said you have chosen this particular photo um, and you will get your feedback on September 11, 2001. And then, of course, 9-11 happened, and I saw the towers and everything, and suddenly the two craters, all the dust and smoke, the dogs, the search dogs, the fuselage, it all made sense to me at that time. That's how that happened. Okay. Is there... Um... I'm curious to know if there's going to be anything crazy happening, not just only on, on the on that kind of scale, but also on the, on the economic front. Like, I would not be surprised if there are Fortune 500 companies, CEOs, and other people in the economists who are actively seeking you out to focus on you know what what will happen in the financial markets. Because my understanding is that we're in a very historic period of time. There is talk about a great uh, financial upheaval. Because the funding, the foundations or structural foundations of our economy uh, are not sound, and that they're due to to change or evolve, and when that will happen is a question that a lot of people have been asking, uh, at least that we've been speaking with about. So, have you ever actually come across anything like that about the financial markets, or been utilizing your gifts for that? Um, I've never been approached at something like that. One of the things you have to understand that as a remote viewer. I have to remain blind to the target, and the reason behind that is if I'm told what the target is, then I'm going to have certain expectations of what I'm going to see, even though those expectations may not actually be at the target. So to preclude that from happening, the remote viewer is always sent blind against the target. Got it. So, yes, I could do something like that if I was tasked with it, but it would it would have to be a tasking that had that would be done by someone else, and then that tasking would be given to me, and I wouldn't know what that particular tasking was. I would only be given a set of coordinates. And then, yes, I could go into um, a remote viewing session and find out whether or not there was something that was particularly cataclysmic. Very interesting. John Herlosky, author of A Sorcerer's Apprentice, A Skeptic's Journey into the CIA's Project Star Guide and Remote Viewing. That was a fantastic interview. Really appreciate having you on our show. You can learn more about John by going to his website at asorceressapprentice.com. I implore you to go out and to get this book because you listen to our interview today. You're getting information, facts, details that you're not going to get anywhere else. And I find that this, this topic is fascinating. And uh, John, it was really great to have you on our show today. Thank you so much. Oh, it was my pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Okay, everyone, that concludes today's edition of the Out of Limits of the Truth Radio Show. Special thanks to our great guest, Mr. John Herlosky. And if you learn to do the remote viewing, I implore you, please, do not utilize that to see what I do in the shower. Not only will you go blind, but you'll be nauseous for the rest of your life. Believe me, my wife, like she's been nauseous since the day we met. I don't know. What am I talking about? Special thanks to the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show Virtues. 
Psychic Medium, Miss Carrie O'Connor. Psychic Empath, Miss Lisa Kaza. And the Astrophenom, our astrologer, Miss Constantellis. To learn more about the Outer Limits of Tooth Radio Show, please go to our website at OuterLimitsRadio.com. Until the next time we meet, my friends, wishing upon you an abundance of peace, love, and beers. Take good care, and thank you so much for listening. Want to be heard or seen in front of millions of people? Want to be an expert on TV or radio? Goldman McCormick PR is a New York City-based public relations agency that specializes in traditional and social media placement for law, finance, media, and corporate-based clients. Goldman McCormick PR also are specialists in website development, radio show creation, press conferences, media training, and so much more. Check out GoldmanMcCormick.com for more information. GoldmanMcCormick.com. 